0: Hello and welcome. My name is Rima and I started this podcast for two reasons. One was simply because I wanted something that encouraged me to sit down over coffee or tea or whatever and have a conversation. Although I'm aware of what's happening in everyone's life, thanks to social media, it can be months and sometimes years before I actually reconnect with certain individuals. So this was a way for me to enforce that commitment to myself personally. And the second reason I started this project, which is what I'm calling it, is because everyone I know has something valuable to say based on their career or lifestyle or where they're at in life right now. And I thought, why not share that? So this is about reconnecting with friends, meeting some new ones perhaps, and sharing some insight along the way. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, this podcast will be done remotely for the time being. I do look forward to the day where I'm able to meet with friends in person once again. Thank you for joining. Hi everyone! Thank you for joining uh, me today on Chatter and Laughs. Today I have my cousin with me, my first cousin Bessem on my father's side. We actually haven't spent a lot of time with each other over the years since we've lived in lived in completely different countries. <laughs> but um, it's so nice to connect with him on this podcast today. Hi, Bessem.
1: Hi. <laughs> Hi, everybody.
0: So just to give you a little bit of a background on Bessem's career, uh, Bessem started working um, in the corporate sector as a CFO for 11 years and then he was in education and has been for over 20 years now. He's currently an executive trainer and delivers highly interactive workshops through uh, different entities and prior to that he was also a professor at the Lebanese American University in Beirut. Uh, so thank you once again, Bessem. Uh is actually joining me from Saudi Arabia today. So today I wanted to talk to you about the, re- the topic of resilience and specifically the resilience of the Lebanese people and their capacity to recover and adjust from one crisis to another. I think the whole world watched the explosion that took place on August 4th in Beirut. I mean, for me personally, it was very emotional to watch. The visual itself was quite horrifying. And with so much family there, uh, for you personally, I know your father and your wife and son are there. Uh, I can't imagine what that feeling was like for you.
1: Well, definitely it was a horrific experience. It was a, a very big shock for all of us because we've been hoping for better days and peaceful time etc and then suddenly this big event comes out yeah and especially that i'm out of the country and there and that's a place where we pass by at least four to six times every day so it was really emotionally high on that time anyway things are good so We're safe so far.
0: And I think what uh, made it just so heartbreaking was the history of the country and the suffering that the Lebanese people have been through over the years. And just to give listeners um, a bit of context, like Lebanon went through a civil war from 1975 to 1990. So that's 15 years of war that people lived through. and, And things obviously didn't end there because of its location in the Middle East. The country has been exposed to decades of conflict and corruption. And then recently, the huge economic crisis topped off with coronavirus. And as if as if all of that wasn't enough, on August 4th, 2,750 tons of ammonia nitrate detonated at the port, leaving close to $13 to $15 billion in damage and about 300,000 people homeless. So, I mean, I'm exhausted just talking about it. Um, I can't imagine what it's like for the people who live there. So, uh, I guess... My first question is, how do you do it? How do the Lebanese people, amidst all these years of struggle, manage to stay so resilient, to continue to rebuild over and over again and stay so positive about life in general?
1: Well, first, we love our country so much. Uh, Psychologically, we adapt well in the face of harsh events and serious problems. Mm -hmm. In general, our love for life and always seeking uh, a better life are like a mental reservoir of strength and energy that we tap on whenever we are confronted with shocking circumstances. Mm -hmm. We take these circumstances as a challenge. So we try to change the situation positively whenever we have issues. Uh, So technically speaking, we, we jump into action clear, rebuild, do something about the situation. Uh, Thanks to the war situation that we've been through, we learned a lot. I mean, Mm -hmm. you would be at night with fights between militias all night long, and then the sunrise would, the sunlight would come up, and you have two choices. You either get ready and go to school, Mm -hmm. or You stay at home because you're afraid. So we learned that life goes on and doesn't stop. And that uh, all what you have to do is just stand up and move on. Mm -hmm. So technically, whenever a big big event like this happens, what do we do? We just uh, think about and focus on what we can do rather than what we do not control. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't wait for any government intervention, actually. We just take things in in hand and we do whatever we can with whatever resources we have. Mm -hmm. Some people call it citizenship. Some people call it altruism. I prefer to call it love of the country. Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: That's um, it's just it's 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 unbelievable to hear you talk about that, because so many people um, have never experienced, uh, you know, living through a war. And, And it's interesting how you talk about how you don't really The people don't really wait for the government. They just start moving. And I've been following along on social media and watching how people, specifically the younger generation of Lebanese, are taking matters into their own hands, mobilizing, rallying together, and cleaning and fixing up the city themselves. Um, Do you find there's a completely different level of resilience from them, a higher level of passion to make a difference?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, the younger generation of today are really mobilized amazingly. That's definitely credit to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think that previously we had less resilience, Mm -hmm. but I think this generation exceeded the expectations. We had ideas about them or beliefs that they are less active With different behavioral patterns, like they're more worried about mobiles, internet connectivity, and all that. Mm -hmm. So when they took action, they somehow exceeded the expectation of the people around them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yes, they rallied, they mobilized things, they went down on the ground to do, which is like big change. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: It's the same level, I believe, level of resilience that we've had in the past. It seems like it's something that springs out at need. Uh, This time, it is driven by compassion or passion and empathy. Yeah. Plus, definitely, they they are much better equipped with technology and communication than we did have in the past. This allowed them to really uh, uh, mobilize things faster, Mm -hmm. allowed them to network, connect together, create a buzz, Uh, help bring a lot of attention to the situation from around the world.
0: Yes, that's very true. true. Mm -hmm. I
1: believe they are as resilient as the previous generation, but they are much better equipped with tools to do a number of things, like support each other, motivate each other, get the message across quickly. Mm -hmm. Like they were able to create websites, applications, hackathons, uh, fundraisers, videos. They were even able to rally role models, social and political figures, etc., within like days, very few days. They did a lot of uh, amazing buzz around the world that, that turned the, the heads of everybody to look into what's happening in Lebanon, which is the result of their resilience.
0: Absolutely. Uh, so, I mean, you've lived in Lebanon for the majority of your life. Um, You know, throughout different times during the war, how would you say that shaped you as a person and as a father, as a husband, um, just overall?
1: Uh, Definitely that had a very large impact on our life and upbringing. Living in Lebanon during the Civil War taught us a lot. We became much more logical less emotionally involved sometimes
2: Mm
1: -hmm. or let's say at need we can just put emotions on the side Uh, but most importantly we learned that life should and will always continue Mm -hmm. Uh, we also learned that if we do not help ourselves nobody cares enough to help us right so we we have to take charge you know uh, uh, we also learned that when uh, it took us a lot of time to stand up or go back to normal life, it was always, always impossible to catch up with the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. So somehow we learned that when you fall down on your knees, it's not enough to just stand up. You have to stand up as fast as possible. Right. Otherwise, you fall between the cracks. So... That's a very important lesson for us. It took us fifteen years to learn it. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, as a person, I became a lot calmer under, under circumstances of uncertainty and stress. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to get me angry, for example, or upset. Oh, I'm, I'm going to uh, ask so... your kids.
0: I'm going to ask your kids how accurate that is.
1: <laughs> oh, very, very, very accurate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, we learned not to lose time pointing fingers or blaming others or just procrastinating we learned that in stress or uncertainty just look for a solution whatever the solution that's that's suitable in these circumstances apply move on Mm -hmm. so we really learned not to stop Uh, we also learn to put emotions on the side when there are major crises, and use rational logic uh, to move on. So technically, somehow we look at us personally. I see myself as a more pragmatic person as a result of that. Mm-hmm. Now, as a father, uh-huh, <laughs> I am also logical with my approach to my kids. I do allow, I do allow them, both daughters and my son. Mm-hmm to do what I did myself when I was young. Like when we were in the war and there was an explosion, we would all rush and do whatever is needed. Mm -hmm. So I did volunteer for a lot of years with civil defense, which is the paramedics and with the Red Cross. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do volunteer a lot of information and background to them, but I leave it up to them to make their own choices.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh,
1: I I apply what I teach technically, like, uh, uh, in the business executive world, we call it coaching. Yeah. And I used it at home. (laughs) So now it's up to them, really, to do what they think is best for them. I just present the the facts and help them make the choice. I don't interfere. Mm -hmm. So as a result, they are where they are.
0: Yeah. And they've grown up to be great individuals who are making a difference.
1: Yeah, thank you. Well, th- they are all involved socially. Uh, like, they all went through the Scouts, uh, mm-hmm. through NGOs. They did a lot of activities, and they're still on.
0: And, you know, you mentioned briefly about uh, your coaching, and I wanted to ask you if you find that, you know, your life experiences must have translated uh, for you into into what you do for your career um, as an executive trainer, as an educator. Do you find that that is the case?
1: Uh, yes, definitely. Once your character is shaped with certain major beliefs like resilience and hope for the future and unrelenting uh, activity, then it shapes you in everything you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't stop I work in a lot of areas I, I'm i a full time professor I do a lot of training I write training material uh, I do scientific research and publications uh, technically it's like now the person that doesn't stop you know yeah. you just look for something new to do and you move on Right. and you don't go back, backward is not on the list mm-hmm. You stand up. You continue. Life is ahead, not behind.
0: Right. Wow. Uh, and, and I mean, you've you've already offered so much great insight. But do you have any advice to uh, to the listeners today who live in different parts of the world um, and who face different stresses? You know, right now everyone is um, is focused on COVID nineteen, and uh, but for the Lebanese people, COVID m- must be just one small part of a much larger struggle. Do you have any advice to listeners on resilience and how to deal with other adversaries just based on your experiences?
1: Well, well, let's try with this. Hope is very important. Resilience is a must. Mm-hmm. If you lose hope, you have no fuel in your engines. Right. Uncertainty is a chance to try new decisions, new things. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's not that bad to try to change. Try it. I mean, nothing to lose. Just try. When, when you're under stress or very bad conditions, your best choice is to try new solutions. Right. So try and move on. Believe in yourself. I mean, with the little that we have, we can always try something. Yeah. If I sit and say, well, it's none of my business. It's nothing I can do there, et cetera, Then I'll never move on. Yeah. Mm-hmm so be optimistic look for the future focus on what you actually can rather than what you cannot
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's a state of mind yes be in the state of mind of optimism and hope all the time so that you at least put yourself in a position to try and take action yeah
0: that's really yeah. really great advice I mean, I'm aware that uh, your son, Julian, uh, is in medical school in Lebanon. Can, can you share some insight into what his struggles have been like as a medical student there going through not just the pandemic, but now the recent explosion?
1: Yeah, well, we've had some times of worry about him. Yeah. He's in his last year of med school. He's very involved in social change and scouts and environmental drives and all that. hmm he was at home when the explosion took place. His colleagues and himself, within like less than one hour, they rallied and they all rushed to the hospital where they are doing their training mm-hmm. to find the hospital real damage because the hospital is less than one kilometer away from the explosion. point.
0: Yes. Uh,
1: in times like these, you know, people don't take precautions. Right. Okay. When it, situation of life and death you just prioritize. yeah so what they went through is a situation where hundreds of injured flooded the hospital Mm -hmm. so most of the patients and injured came to that hospital where julian was Uh, most of the injured were brought by civilians none of them were worried about covid in such an emergency right yeah you see a bleeding person you carry them and you move right uh, a week later, the number of patients that tested positive on COVID-19 went up many folds in Lebanon. Right. So, yeah. Going back to our issue, these medical students did some excellent work. I mean, they were driven by love and dedication and all that. I mm-hmm. uh, can't say they were not traumatized, but what they saw in those two days was something they will never forget. For sure. Like they were under pressure. Yeah. They were under real pressure to help all the incoming injured people. They were under stress to apply medical protocols. You know, they're students. They have to do by-the-book stuff. Mm-hmm. They were trying to protect themselves from COVID-19 amidst zero social distancing. Right. And dozens of people rushing into corridors. Yeah. Injured people coming and their families coming to ask about them. Yes. They they had to prioritize. Mm-hmm. They actually uh, after that experience, expressed their experience of two days in two blogs I think they that they published. It definitely provided them with lifelong lesson and impacted their future
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: It was a big trauma for them. They didn't know where to start. At the, like the first half an hour was very difficult, and then they moved on. They stayed two days, two full days in the hospital, mm-hmm. trying to get things done, to move patients on, and you know, yeah, we, we had six thousand injured. They
0: probably accelerated their medical teaching, um, you know, by a hundredfold in those two days.
1: Definitely, mm-hmm. they learned a lot. They they had to do a lot of procedures without anesthesia. They had to do a lot of practical protocols. Yeah, they applied a lot of what they studied.
0: Yeah.
1: was <laughs> a learning curve. Yeah, for
0: sure. For sure. Wow. <laughs> Look at it
1: from the positive side.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: Wow. Wow. Well- I mean, I I know that you personally, as you had mentioned, um, have been volunteering with the Lebanese Red Cross for many years, I mean, since 1986. And, you know, your kids have been active in the organization as well. Is there anything you want to share regarding the Red Cross organization and how impactful they are in Lebanon specifically?
1: Uh, Yes, Uh, the Lebanese Red Cross is the largest NGO in Lebanon. Mm It has a very stable structure and hierarchy. It also has facilities and an excellent network. Uh, Because of all these, it was able to to have a really sizable impact on the ground. It has uh, all the trust of all the community. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: It's impartial and well-equipped. It has long experience throughout the whole war and other peaceful situations. Mm and it also has a large reservoir of alumni who are still connected to it. Right. So the day of the explosion, hundreds of Red Cross volunteers who are already currently volunteers and alumni also went down to help. These are practically well-trained, experienced, and also very disciplined.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So during these days, the first day and the second day when everything was chaotic, uh, they were able to do a lot of organizing activities, yeah. knowing that the explosion took place uh, very close to one of the major offices of the Lebanese Red Cross.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Yet, yet they were able to do a lot of organizing on the ground, like listing the injuries, make, preparing the paperwork. You know, Administrative work is tedious, but someone has to do it. Someone has to Whoever comes to look for a for an injured needs to uh, know exactly in which they are mm-hmm. to document all that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So they, they went through that. They went through scanning the rubbles to see if there are people still living under that. They provided immediate first aid mm-hmm. for okay. the homeless. They did a lot of evaluation of the damaged houses and they're still doing that. They did not finish. They are documenting the, the damages one house at a time so that they will um, provide the records to the government and uh, concerned uh, entities. They also distributed uh, food and water packages. Uh, well, they were able to do that because they are trained to work under stress. Yeah, They are very disciplined. Like you follow orders right. and you know who to come to. Who- who is your next in, ch- in the channel and and you are very efficient because you're trained. So they did uh, a lot of work. They mobilized a lot of volunteers around and as a result of all this uh, very, uh, let's say, organized activity, they earn the recognition of many foreign governments who eventually earmarked their assistance to the Red Cross. Yeah. A lot of came by planes especially to, to be given to the red cross because they found that this organization did a large impact yeah they are still on the ground today doing marvelous work uh, knowing that a major center was devastated in the explosion
0: and and it's important to know because i know that for me personally a lot of people were and friends were reaching out to me to ask you know if we want to help or if we want to donate where can we donate and um it's important to note that the Lebanese Red Cross absolutely um, is a great place uh, to donate if that's something that that individuals are wanting to do.
1: Yeah, it's a very good organization. We have a lot of transparency and the the system of committee controls and corporate governance is excellent. Mm -hmm. And the work on the ground is very impactful. So I think it's one of the organizations that are Trustworthy for support,
0: and for you personally, um, having volunteered with the Red Cross for for so many years, for your almost your, your whole life, um, would you say that that type of that type of volunteering is is important?
1: Hey, definitely, it's important. I believe that to test yourself, you should give. If you do not give, you cannot receive. You need to give. And there's a lot of need and there's a lot of potential. So it's a joy to give from yourself. And it also puts you in front of the environment where you are. Like You see the problems of your own environment when you go into such organizations. It sensitizes you to the needs of the society, the problems, the weaknesses. So it prepares you to become a better citizen. Right. Someone concerned and involved its involvement and engagement are not a are not an article you read it's something you do right so it's important to do that
0: um and is there is there anything else you wanted to add about the Lebanese people in general and the topic of resilience
1: Well resilient yes we are definitely i mm-hmm. I think we're a population of uh, resilience. Uh, we love our country. We love life. Uh, we make fun of uh, bad events. <laughs> you have, you sure, have you know, social... We believe we can build it back, and we try. It's not only about believing. If you look at the news, the people of Lebanon are trying to do something. Mm-hmm. We're very optimistic and persevering. We acknowledge the situation. We learn from it, and we move forward. It's, it's a matter of uh, not, non-stop moving forward. We see ourselves as united against the trauma and see God's help unrelenting. Like, we don't stop.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We, want, we want to have decent life back. We want things to go back to normal, and we take things in our hands whenever we can with whatever resources available. And then we seek help. But we start by doing. We start by taking action, which is a trademark, I believe.
0: Yes, for sure. Well, uh, thank you so much, and for joining me uh, on on the podcast. It, it it's been such an important conversation, and you've offered so much so much insight from from a world that most people struggle to understand, uh, and uh, hopefully. Uh, listening to this podcast has given them some perspective.
1: Thank you for the opportunity and hope things move into better situations.
0: Yes,
2: hopefully.